Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to VMB, the voice of Manhattan business, brought to you by the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. I'm your host, Bruce Hurwitz. You can find me on the web at hsstaffing.com. I hope everyone will be able to join me this coming Wednesday at noon, when my guest will be Ann Kamen from New York Rank Company. We will be discussing Get Connected, the Power of Referrals, and this will be the second part of a two-part series. To learn about all future shows, please visit our website, thevoiceofmanhattanbusiness.com. And please remember to visit the events page on the Chamber's website, www.manhattancc.org, to learn about upcoming events on the Chamber's calendar. I am delighted to be joined today by Ezekiel Zimmerman from Special Needs Family Planning. We will be discussing life planning for a loved one with a disability. Please remember, the opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views or positions of the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. If you have any questions, feel free to call in. The number is 805 Two four three one three zero one, and if you have a question, dial one so I know that you are not just listening, but in fact you have a question. Zeke, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bruce. Glad to be here. Well, it's my pleasure. Tell us about yourself and your company. Sure, sure. Um, as as you introduced me, uh, my firm is Special Needs Family Planning. What we are is we're a, a full service financial planning firm dedicated to working with individuals with disabilities, their families and the schools, the agencies, the organizations, the institutions, and their communities. And what we do is we solve for financial and legal concerns, and we design immediate and future care plans that are practical and holistic for all kinds of families, regardless of the budget. And what makes this truly unique is that first and foremost, we are parents of children with special needs ourselves. And because of that, we understand the needs, the concerns, and the challenges of other families in which an individual has a disability. And, um, if you can, just indulge me for a moment. I want to tell you a little bit about my background. Um, because for me, this isn't just a job that I do. It's also something that's very personal, and I'm passionate about it. And how I got to where I am now is actually a kind of compelling story. I began my career as an educator. I was a bilingual middle school math teacher here in New York City. I taught algebra and geometry and Spanish to students who were mostly new to the country. And working with disadvantaged and often marginalized populations is something that has always been very meaningful to me. After almost about a decade in, in the public school system, I left teaching. I eventually became an educational technology entrepreneur. And even there, the companies that I founded were, were really all based on improving outcomes. Uh, for English language learners, for example, or providing more holistic or meaningful assessment measurements for students who don't always demonstrate their full abilities on standardized tests. It was in early 2010 when things took a a big turn for the unexpected for me and my family. Uh, Our first child, who was two years old at the time, had just been diagnosed with a disability. And we now know that he's on the autistic spectrum. But at the time, at that young age, Many professionals are very hesitant to label that specifically, and so many children, just like my son, are given the diagnosis of PDD-NOS, which stands for Pervasive Developmental Disability Not Otherwise Specified, meaning they know something is wrong, but they're not entirely sure what it is yet. 
And being new parents faced with a situation, I'm sure you can imagine what my wife and I went through that year. It was all seven stages of grief, shock, denial, pain, guilt, anger, bargaining, depression, working through it, and finally acceptance. And the thing is, most of that was entirely baseless, but we just didn't know. We were trying to just figure it out, most of it on our own, navigating without a map, without a good trustworthy system of experienced people or organizations to help explain things or guide us or make sense of our situation. And so eventually we did come around. We said, if this is our situation, we're going to make the best of it, and we're going to try our hardest to do the right things and provide the best outcomes for our son. Um, so I, I you know, took a crash course, really, just, just absorbing, reading everything I could, um, going to, to lectures and seminars, signing up for things. I got him involved in, in early intervention, which meant a whole host of special needs professionals, speech therapists, occupational therapists, physical therapists, behavioral therapists, pediatric neurologists were, were coming in and out, and we were visiting their places as well as touring and interviewing and selecting all the right developmental preschools and spent a lot of time doing this and, and you know, through the strength of my efforts and luckily, I, you know, again, I have a background in education, so I had some understanding of, of some of these things. Um, I was doing my best to provide for my son educationally and developmentally. But at the time, I, I also had no idea that I had to plan for him and for us financially and legally in a new way with a different mindset than we've been planning before. Eventually, one of the seminars that I went to, I, I met um, uh, a very well-spoken, educated individual who spoke about this kind of planning, about, about life planning and, and what that means. And I ended up doing a lot of my own special needs financial planning for my son and for us. And eventually that led me around to where I wanted to share this knowledge with others help them in their journey and their planning because I knew how difficult it was for me to navigate this by myself. And I also have a lot of advantages that maybe maybe other families didn't. And that's what led me to become an advisor and ultimately to join special needs family planning and partner with that same individual, that same man whose presentation had inspired me to plan for my son. And so I really get a lot of fulfillment out of this job. I approach it like a teacher and an educator. It's my role to help families to make sense of complicated processes, to understand their options, and to make informed decisions to protect and provide for themselves and especially their loved ones with disabilities. Well, I want to thank you very much for sharing your personal story with us. It's very helpful. And I know everyone wishes you and your, your wife, your son, your family the very best. Let's get to our topic and just to remind everyone, it's life planning for a loved one with a disability. And you use the term special needs. Define that for us. What do you mean by special needs? Sure. So a special needs really anything that can cause an individual to need some kind of extra accommodation in life. And that can include developmental disabilities like autism, but it can also include intellectual disabilities and physical disabilities, uh, mental illness. The, the list is actually pretty broad. We have clients who are blind, who are deaf, who have mobility impairments, who have traumatic brain injuries, Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, ADHD, depression, anxiety, and more. Some of these people are verbal, some are not. Some are very independent on their own, and others need high levels of support. 
And that's really the key here is how much additional support do we think that that individual is going to need over his or her lifetime in order to be happy and fulfilled personally, socially, intellectually, vocationally, you name it. And the reason why this is important now is that, you know, with with new developments, with medicine, with with more and more supports, we're finding that these individuals are living longer and longer lives and the possibility the probability that an individual with a disability is going to outlive his or her parents is now quite high. And so we need to think, what is that going to mean? How do we plan for everybody involved? And the reality is is that even though we've come very far as a society in terms of our acceptance of people with disabilities, even though our state and federal governments are actually fairly generous in terms of the benefits, there's still a real long way to go and a lot of need. And unfortunately, the workplace realities are still fairly bleak. Many adults with disabilities struggle to achieve full, gainful employment that allows them to live an independent lifestyle to the degree that they or their families would want. And so this puts more and more strain on the families, on the community agencies, and on the institutions and the government resources. So our plan is designed to minimize that strain and provide kind of peace of mind that lets everybody focus on today without worrying how to pay for food and shelter or losing benefits and services at some point down the road. And, you know, that's where anybody with a special need who, who has some need for extra accommodation is going to benefit from that kind of planning. Now, even though you've basically answered the question, I'm still going to ask it. Is this planning that you do for the disabled person or is it planning for the entire family which would mean siblings who are not disabled and not just the parents great great question bruce thank you um it is for the entire family um it has a heightened focus on the special situation and the special needs of the individual with disability but for the most part many of the disabled people that we work with are minors um, who don't have, uh, you know, agency to act as as adults and make these kind of choices, or um, even when we work with disabled adults, some of them don't have the capacity um, or the resources to do this kind of planning themselves. So we are working with their families to provide holistic situations that benefit everyone. And it's one thing to think about for example, leaving enough money for a disabled child so that we know that they'll have all the resources they need when they themselves become adults and then middle-aged and then eventually seniors with disabilities. But we have to think, what happens if the parent themselves suffers a disability and can no longer work or provide for the family? Or what happens when the parent ages and becomes infirm and can't properly take care of themselves, let alone an adult with special needs who may still be living at home? And you mentioned this, but how do we not put undue pressure and responsibility on other family members, especially those siblings who want the best for the disabled brothers and sisters, but they have a natural right and a natural need to be able to live their own lives as well. And all of these possibilities have to be taken into consideration as well. That becomes a very involved process that touches everybody. So what type of planning are we talking about? Is it medical, financial, both, something else? Yeah, uh, this is primarily financial planning, but in a very special way with a trained eye on the very particular legal needs of individuals with disabilities. So on the financial side, we want to make sure that all needs are taken care of. Again, on the side of the individual as well as the rest of the family. And that it's also going to involve risk management tools 
So that could be insurance, but it's also going to involve savings, investments, and more. It has to be done efficiently in terms of tax implications as well. On the legal side, we need to know that the proper estate planning has been done. That means wills, powers of attorney, health care proxies, etc. Guardianship is a very big consideration. and We're talking guardianship both of minor children and then later potentially guardianship of adults with disabilities as well once they've reached the age of majority. Beneficiaries have to be named properly. Um, there have to be clear plans and directions, which are often recur referred to as a letter of intent. All this has to be spelled out for the best care of the individual. And we also need to know that the support that we're providing won't disqualify that individual from some of the essential need-based government services they rely on. So we often utilize very specific kinds of trusts or a new option known as ABLE accounts to keep resources out of the name of that individual. Because it really doesn't take much. It doesn't take more than $2,000 in that person's name to disqualify them from the Medicaid and the Social Security benefits that provide money for daily living or pay for essential services like housing, or day habilitation, and more. And the loss of those services can be devastating for many individuals and families. You just reminded me of uh, something that I was involved with many years ago. I was a fundraiser for local Jewish Federation, and I was responsible for planned giving. And we were trying to get seniors to include in their financial planning, obviously leaving a bequest to the Federation. And I set up a long series, of, I think there were 16 in a period of six weeks, of financial planning sessions for seniors. And I had different attorneys, different insurance companies. There was no preference given to anyone. There was one senior who I was very friendly with, and I literally dragged her. She didn't want to go. I literally picked her up, dragged her into one of the sessions, and she absolutely enjoyed it. She realized the value. She went to a few more. And a few weeks later, she had chosen one insurance company, one attorney to work with, and a few weeks after that, they came into my office, they closed the door, and they said, Bruce, if you ever tell anybody this, we can get fired because we're about to break confidentiality, but we want you to understand what you did. And then they told me that the woman was a millionaire. She didn't know it, but it all of her property, her home, everything put together, as well as cash and stocks and what have you, she was a millionaire. She had an adult son who was developmentally disabled, and she was going to leave everything to him. And if she had done that, he would have no longer been eligible for all of the benefits. He wouldn't have been able to continue to live in the um, uh, group home where he was at. And we can both guess how long the money would have lasted. So what you are talking about here resonates, and it is very important, and I thank you for coming on and sharing. You're welcome. And and thank you for sharing that, too, because, um, first of all, what a, what a mitzvah you did for, for her and, and her son. And, and secondly, you know, it's, it's really interesting to hear that because 
planned charitable giving is a really important job that we do as well in helping organizations work with that. So we don't just work with the families and the individuals. It's important for us to be able to know that the, the institutions that support those people are strong and robust as well. And that means helping them to, to work with their donor base and really maximize the ways that those people are able to contribute and make sure that those institutions are there for the long term. These, these, these are hardworking people and really valuable pieces of the community that are serving a really important need. We want to make sure that they're there, that they're robust and strong um, for all the foreseeable future. And, and, and planned charitable giving is an important part of that. Zeke, does it matter the nature of the disability? And what I'm thinking of here is if somebody, well, it's, you had mentioned before you work with a lot of minors, but let's just say we're talking now about an adult who is competent, all right? Is your relationship with the competent disabled person and their family different than if the person or obviously it would be different, but how would it be different if the person was not competent to make decisions for themselves? Sure, sure. Great questions. Um, and, and, of course, it's the nature of the disability is always going to be important so we can understand the situation that the individual and the family are facing today, and so we can plan both productively and realistically for for optimal outcomes in the future. So when when we're talking about you know an adult for example if if that adult um has diminished capacity um may not be verbal may not be able to read or write um you know may not be able to 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 um transport him or herself um independently from place to place we know that that person is not in a capacity to make legal financial decisions for themselves and so we'll counsel those families on guardianship um for adults but even when we work with families where an adult has greater independence we still know that there's a lot of need there and and just like i mentioned before we know that even even with you know, and I, and I hesitate to use this kind of labeling, but but um, high functioning or they also low support individuals that the the actual work outcomes for them are significantly less than they would be for for non-disabled people. It's just that much harder for them to navigate the social intricacies of the workforce, to hold down the job, to be able to make enough money to support themselves. And so we need we need to know what that's going to look like. And even, you know, we say someone is very independent, even that independent individual with a disability, we know is going to need help. And and so knowing how much additional support we think that individual is going to need over his or her lifetime in order to be happy and fulfilled is critical. So, you know, that individual with traumatic brain injury is going to need a lot more support than an individual on the autistic spectrum who's verbal and has some degree of independence, but they both need to plan and they both need to do it in the right way. And in all cases, we want to hope for the best, but this is still risk management at its core, so we want to be able to prepare for all outcomes to mitigate, you know, the the negative to the greatest extent possible and you know, even outcomes that are less than hoped for, we want to try to make the best out of that. 
And just a reminder, you're listening to the Voice of Manhattan Business. My guest today is Zeke Zimmerman from Special Needs Family Planning, and we're discussing life planning for a loved one with a disability. If you have any questions, feel free to call in. The number is 805-243-1301, and dial 1 so I know you have a question. Please remember the opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views or positions of the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. Zeke, what goes into this type of family planning? Talk to us about the process and the components. Sure. So the first step, of course, is to meet with us. Um, There's no better way to, to really understand who the family is, who the individual is. There's so many dynamics at play like we've like we've been discussing in this conversation that that's really going to be the jumping off point of any kind of planning, knowing where where we are right now and then to be able to take a look at where what has already been done and where do we want to go. So so we have to get the lay of the land first. Once we understand that, it's going to be planning based on how do we maximize the potential? And we're, so we're going to look at, at the needs. We're going to look at budgets. We're going to look at what kinds of, of options in terms of education, vocation are we talking about. And, again, this is going to depend highly on, on the age of the individual with disability in question. Um, and there's really going to be a very thorough fact-finding process and needs analysis followed by you know, a very in-depth and and holistic recommendation. And this can seem complicated, can seem time-consuming and difficult. Um, our job is to make that make sense to, to, to the families and, and the people involved. Many families bring the disabled individuals, so they are part of the, of the conversation as well to the extent that they're able to be part of it because we're talking about planning for their lives. And, you know, that's going to then go from understanding the situation, analyzing recommendations, and then taking action and implementing. Um, Because we can spend months crafting the best plan, putting together a team of the best experts, but if we don't actually implement, then all the planning that we're doing, all all of this thought, you know, really is for naught. How does it differ, for lack of a better word, from usual family planning, the process? Okay, sure. Uh, Well, because the planning involves the whole family and because we do use many of the same financial and legal tools that are available and recommended for non-disabled families, it can appear on the outside that there's little difference. Um, The real secret sauce, though, is in the knowledge of the unique needs and how those needs change and develop over time, how the institutions interplay with that, how the legal needs intersect with the financial, how to navigate the government agencies that provide those benefits and services. So there are thousands of of advisors in New York City um, and, and even more attorneys, and many of them are quality planners. Um, and advisors they can put together solid recommendations for life insurance or retirement or uh, create a, a well-written third-party 
supplemental needs trust, but there are very few of them who really know how to connect all the dots, who have deep knowledge about this particular type of planning and can reliably quarterback this, this type of special team. And so that's really the difference is, is can we step back, can we look at the big picture, see how everything affects its, uh, the other parts, how it's connected, and make sure that we really are taking care of all of the needs together, not just kind of in silos. What should be avoided when planning? And what I'm thinking of here, and there are no doubt other things, but what came to my mind was group dynamics. You've got the parents, for sake of argument, of the disabled child. They're distraught. They're scared. They're worried. They don't know what they're doing. And then they bring in the grandparents. And then you get group dynamics and everything goes down the drain very quickly because there's no agreement, you know, who's in charge, who's going to take over. God forbid something happens to the parents, who gets custody of the child, all of this. So what should be avoided when planning? Should it just be the parents? Should it be? Should others be involved? What else should be avoided? Yeah, well, the great, great question. I mean, we we really do want everyone involved um, to the extent possible. The parents are going to be the most important members of that team. They're the ones who know their disabled child, even if that disabled individual is no longer a child but an adult. They're going to they're going to know that person better than anybody else. They're going to know their 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 personal needs, their medical needs, their, their, you know, their capacities, their goals better than everyone. Um, so we give them the most voice. But we want everybody involved in it. The grandparents are extremely important because very often um, the grandparents are the ones who you know, have it in their plans to leave money. And, and just like you mentioned with, with your example of, of the elderly woman with her son before, that, that kind of inheritance, if it's not done the right way, um, can can really have you know some negative effects on people. So so we want everyone involved. We want to make sure that um, you know that that inheritances, beneficiaries are done the right way. We don't want to disinherit the loved one. That, that would be a, a, a mistake to avoid. Planning that you have to like take this person out of your will, out of your consideration entirely. Uh, we don't want to assume that that others are going to take care of that person and just say, well, you know, his uh, his brother will will care for him or her sister will. Um, we don't want to kind of use a cookie cutter approach to planning, and that can be both from the financial side or the legal side, just a one size fits all special needs trust. Um, we don't want to fail the plan for for more than just the minimum public benefits. Um, we don't want to, um, you know, to, to leave the, the individual vulnerable to, to predators for their money so that they could be taken advantage of. But I guess, you know, and I mentioned this a little bit before, the most important thing to be avoided when planning is doing nothing because that's really where we see the most families kind of getting caught up is they um, they get overwhelmed by the by the decisions that have to be made and they start doing some work and they stop 
and maybe a couple of years later they come back to it, they do a little bit more, but they stop, and they never actually complete their plan. They never actually take the, the recommended actions. And so in the end, they don't have a plan. So you know, if I had to say what should be avoided when planning, the, the number one thing that should be avoided is doing nothing. When you proposed this topic, you expanded it a little bit in your description, and I'm guessing, and correct me if I'm wrong, that it's because of your uh, being bilingual Spanish. But you wrote about, so to conclude, I want to ask you to talk to us about services for minority communities. Sure. So um, when I joined special needs family planning, one of my biggest goals was how do we expand our reach and how do we expand our services to not just um, the the predominantly English-speaking communities of Manhattan, for example, but to language minority communities in the Bronx, in Brooklyn, in Queens, in New Jersey, and beyond. How do we make this the most inclusive, um, the most inclusive program, the most inclusive group possible? Because really, the, the disabilities know no boundaries. They know no no language barriers. And yeah, I, I am bilingual Spanish. It's you know, it's barely been something that, that I've cultivated and and, and benefited from really my entire life, and I want to be able to, to keep giving back with that. And so we launched Special Needs Family Planning in Espanol, and our goal is to to have more outreach to communities that are typically underserved in that area. And so we're we're putting on presentations in these outer boroughs. We're going to the developmental disability councils. We're meeting with people who would otherwise, you know, be excluded from from these services, from this knowledge, or who wouldn't even understand that there that these options are out there. Um, it's you know it it really is a way of trying to expand the reach and make sure that everybody can do planning to his or her, to that family's best ability. Because the, the idea that, that this is something that's only for affluent families or anything like that is, is completely preposterous. Uh, all families need to do planning, and everybody can do some to some degree. And hopefully, um, you know, as, as we continue to grow, we'll be able to add more and more languages. We're trying to, to work on, on expanding um, with, with Chinese right now and then hopefully Korean and uh, we have some other people that we're trying to work with to be able to expand to even more uh, language groups around the city. Zeke, before I let you go, tell our listeners what the best way is for them to get in touch with you. Absolutely. Well, anybody, please, you can visit our website. It's www.specialneedsfamilyplanning.com. Uh, email me directly at Zeke Zimmerman, Z-E-K-E-Z-I-M-M-E-R-M-A-N, Zeke Zimmerman at financialguide.com. And really the best way to reach me, though, is just to pick up the phone and call me. And we have a toll-free number. It's 888-552-SNFP, so 7637, 888-552-7637. Zeke, thank you so much. I think I can honestly say that with the exception of the program that we did a few years ago, obviously, on Sandy and how to recover from Sandy, this is probably 
if it's not the most important, then it's definitely one of the most important programs we've done. And I want to thank you profusely. Thanks for having me on, Bruce. Really appreciate it. And as always, I want to thank our listeners. And I'm certain Zeke joins me in wishing everyone a safe and prosperous week.